Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date, informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. Welcome back to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. I'm Jackie Lewis, the clinical nutritionist from BN Multi. And today I'm talking sports nutrition with dietitian Nick Ray. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Jackie. Thanks for joining us today. It's um, great to see you as well. So yeah. we do have quite a few of our patients are reaching out at the moment because they've done their great work and lost all their weight. And lo and behold, they've become excited about exercising. And some of them have even become quite the sports person. And just Generally, they're having difficulty fitting in enough food and reading, reaching their needs or even understanding what their needs are as far as, you know, after bariatric surgery goes and the high demand for nutrients. So I thought I'd get your input, Nick, because I know you've been a practitioner now with bariatric patients for about 20 years. And yes. Um, yes. So do you want to tell me just a little bit about how you got involved in doing the dietetics for bariatric patients? Well, I started when I was a hospital dietitian on the sort of surgical gastro uh, area and um, bariatric surgery was being done at Flinders Medical Centre. So I started the, you know, the service to those patients in the public system. And then um, not too many years later, um, uh, Lillian Cow and, and back then Professor Jim Tooley opened Adelaide Bariatric Centre. So I started consulting for them. Uh, and ever since I, I haven't left there. So we're now a big practice in Adelaide and um, we do lots of lots of operations. I think you would have seen it all by now, wouldn't you? Oh, you still get little surprises. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> keep you on your toes mm. that's i do yeah we do see a lot of um you know the 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 clinics over in adelaide are just growing by the day so it's um, mm. obviously everyone's doing the right thing over there which is great so from an energy perspective and an energy demands perspective how can nutritional needs fall short when patients are exercising you know and they're they're more looking at elite kind of levels of exercise or banking hours of training and that sort of thing yeah i think if we're talking the serious you know the person who's training for a triathlete or a half marathon or a marathon or something that's fairly it requires a big commitment then um their planning is is going to be everything it's it's all about the macros um trying to squeeze in enough energy or calories and protein and carbs is without doubt their biggest challenge it's you know they've only got a small portion control and yet they're trying to consume athlete uh, quantities so it really is a challenge and and i think some don't plan it very well and they fall in a heap um whereas i guess the smart ones you know they uh, plan their training they plan their nutrition they go and see their bariatric dietitian and, and do it wisely so that they don't fall in a heap and they continue to enjoy what they're doing and that's the key i think isn't it is you know when you're enjoying it that you're not dragging yourself through it i think that's a good indicator that things are you know either going well or they're not what, what can go wrong if patients are exercising in a greater volume but they're not meeting their nutritional requirements or even their macros what happens what have you seen well if they're not meeting their basic energy demands or their calories they'll lose more weight so mm. i had a triathlete who he was very much at his target weight he was a really good weight but he trained for a triathlon and lost another six kilos now some might think oh that's fantastic but some of that's muscle mass and and that was not his intention or 
or, or idea at all. So not enough energy coming from calories, very much more weight loss, more lethargy, more tiredness. I think the carbs is without doubt a, a tiredness thing and a performance thing. So when you don't get enough carbs in and you don't have enough glycogen reserves to train properly, you can't train at the same intensity. You can't maintain your same intensity. So the carbs make them lethargic. If they're not getting enough, this is very tired and lethargic and they won't be able to continue to train at the intensity that they know they can and they don't recover well. You know, they don't recover from a training session. They feel very lethargic for quite some time. And then you've got other things like protein. If, if they're not able to get their macros, their protein, they're going to lose muscle mass and, and they're going to have real troubles with so, uh, soreness and, and um, fatigue after training sessions and not recover well and not potentially gain muscle mass, which might be their intention. You know, they might mm. be doing three sessions of weights a week and wondering why they're not gaining any muscle mass or gaining any strength. So those three macros, the calories, the protein and the carbs, I think are the key. I mean, micros, you know, you, you can then talk about not getting enough iron, not getting enough B12 and the effects mm. of that and um, on fatigue and anemia and things like that. But they're easier to prevent because they're easier to take supplements. Yeah, they don't take us up, up as much room, do they? That's right. You know, you can always get an iron infusion <laughs> or you can always take oral iron and that solves that problem problem but it's yeah. not as easy with calories and fats and carbs absolutely right and it's also looking at you know is there a magic number is there something that you use as a guide um, for people who are attending your practice who do exercise heavily each week yeah, that, that one's um, really tricky only because there's so many variables, but I, I'll, I'll give you a, as good as I can rule of thumb. But, mm. um, you know, this this boils down to how much training's the the bariatric doing? What's the intensity of it? What's their weight? Are they male? Are they female? But if we boil down to, if we look at carbs first, you, you can estimate your carb requirements based on your ideal body weight. So you must use your target weight, basically. So say you're 120 kilos you have a sleeve you get to 70 kilos you do some training and you're still at 70 kilos and you're really happy at 70 kilos well that's a fair weight to use to for this calculation but you can't use 90 kilos because you're going to grossly overestimate your carbs but so a typical rule of thumb for a very we're talking high intensity full-on training now like twice a day you know two to three hours a day you could need as much as six or seven grams of carbohydrate per kilogram of ideal body weight goodness me so if I go back to the 70 kilo Barry athlete, you know, that's 490 grams of carbs. Just carbs. And I, and I can tell you now that won't be achievable. It, mm. It's just... But that is what an athlete would be consuming. So a barrier athlete's got that unfortunate position that trying to eat or, or drink 490 grams of carbs a day is almost impossible, but that's what they actually need. For, um, you know, the everyday hacker, so the person, now we're talking sort of sub-elite, just someone who's training for a half marathon or, you know, and, and doing good amounts of training, but not perhaps the level of a triathlete, you might be at four grams per kilogram, so 280 grams of carbs a day. That's more achievable, so that's potentially doable. With protein, we, we used to say 1.2 to 1.4 grams per kilogram, but now the International Society of Sports Nutrition Position Statement in 2017 has stated 
1.4 to 2 grams per kilogram. So they've okay. underestimated in the past. So again, if we've got a 70 kilo bariathlete, that's 98 to 140 grams of protein a day. Now that sounds a lot, but that's actually relatively achievable with, you know, shakes and protein waters and things like that. Again, it would be slightly less than that at the bottom end of that 1.4 to 2 grams per kilo scale if it was just someone doing decent amounts, but not elite amounts. So I'd say the protein's achievable, but the carbs is probably almost unachievable. And I think if you're doing healthy carbs, it's bulky, isn't it? So if you need that many and you're trying to remain, you know, you're not putting in jelly beans just for the carbohydrate content, um, it's a limit to what you can fit in. So how do you, what are the secrets to this? How do you, if you do have someone who's working out regularly and has these high demands, even not at the top end of the scale. Is there a secret to actually planning this out and um, fitting a day's worth of food in so that you're not, you know, you can hold down the job? (laughs) Well, absolutely. But it becomes, you know, it does become a a job in itself to eat enough, you know, during their day at work to, to be able to train. But the biggest challenge is without doubt the calories and the carbs to a lesser degree the protein because that's easier to achieve but um, I think the tricks are you can't fit your carbs in with just good healthy carbs it is physiologically impossible so they have to rely on sports drinks cordials juices gels which we know are high GI and high sugar and for a bypass patient might give them dumping so that's a big issue for a bypass Mm. patient anyway but you just can't get that volume of carbs in without you know using those sorts of of products Um, as I said with protein it's much much easier we you know we can get pretty good high protein shakes and good high protein waters that we can add to water bottles and it's not really that unachievable but the carbs is just it's the Achilles heel it really is I even I've struggled to be able to help certain patients who are doing huge amounts of exercise to get their their carbs in and quite frankly normally we just can't quite get there and And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean they can't do well still perhaps they're not able to match it with you know a triathlete for example who hasn't had bariatric surgery absolutely but i think you know just the fact that they've turned things upside down in such a positive way it's um something to be pretty proud of oh absolutely i mean you take your hat off to to anyone who's having a crack at doing something that they haven't done before um but they need to plan it. They really do need to go Yeah, there's no them. winging it is there. And no. so when you see these patients who are heavily active, what are the signs? If you have someone come in and they're, what sort of signs and symptoms do they have if they're not meeting nutritional requirements and exercising? I think generally they're just, they're just so fatigued. They just, mm. they're barely getting from one training session to the next thinking, oh my God, I'm, I'm so sore. I'm so um, tired. I feel like I've got no fuel because as soon as your glycogen depleted, no matter how mentally tough you are, you yeah, you can't drag yourself you just, through that. You, no, <laughs> you can't. You can't push through it. It's it's you know we've all seen the the marathon runners you know stumbling in in the stadium and things like that. That that's just classic running out of glycogen and and dehydration. That's a separate issue. But um, so look, these it's just so much in the planning. It really is. So it's doable to a point, I think. You know, but if they don't plan it, they they'll they'll fail, and that's really sad. They'll they when say they'll fail they're not a failure but they'll they'll just they'll they'll just find it too overwhelming and and give it up and, or, mm. or which is sad because that's obviously something that they've really wanted to do which is fantastic um 
but if they haven't prepared themselves properly, they're, they're just more likely to give it away, which, mm. which you know, um, will disappoint themselves because they obviously they wanted to do that event. Yeah, and I think that's where it comes down to getting the right support. I see quite a few patients who are trying to do, to, even just to do the normal bariatric diet on their own um, without the support of a dietitian or, you know, ongoing input, and I see that doesn't always go very well. But, yeah, I think it's when you're looking at achieving something that's totally different and out of where you've come from to, to also assume that you can pull that off without professional input is also a tricky one. And I liken it to, you know, seeing a soccer team turn up without a coach. I don't think I've ever seen that. So I always mm. um, encourage patients to get involved with surrounding themselves with the right team and, the you know, the right practitioner who has experience in that area who can guide them and, you know, help them to succeed. And I think for a lot of patients, it's been a lifetime of not really reaching out and asking for help because they just feel, you know, frustrated or they don't feel, they don't know where to look. So that's the idea of these um, sessions and podcasts is bringing to light different areas that sort of influence the bariatric realm and, you know, showing off our fantastic helpers and support teams that we can put in place for patients who are looking to do something different um, and just reminding them that if something's not feeling good or it's not feeling if you're not feeling good as a result of what you're doing it can be a nutritional thing that it just needs a small tweak really um, and then off you go again and you're performing much better than you ever expected so I think it's something to get in the habit of is reaching out and looking around for people who can support you in the next major achievement if you're looking at doing sporting activities or running marathons and that sort of thing we've got a few in our group who are doing iron man and iron woman and I'm you know normal not normal but people who haven't had weight loss surgery flat out doing that kind of thing so I think it's um it's incredible how much they can change their mindset around and really um use this tool for good health and um turning life in a pretty much 180 degree direction so it's fantastic and on that I was just going to say, even I see athletes who are contemplating some event and, you know, they haven't had bariatric surgery, but they've gone and seen their dietitian, Mm. their exercise physiologist, their physiotherapist, their trainer or their coach. And they've planned this all out, um, knowing that they need all of the help from those individuals to be successful. Mm. And yet our bariatric athletes sometimes try and wing it and, and, and they're even more under the pump for obvious reasons with their portion control. So, yeah, yeah I think they need to access all of those types of professions to, if they really want to, you know, do their best. And I'm not talking winning an Olympic medal. I'm just no, talking complete, yeah, it's just to finish a triathlon or, or a, yeah, or an Ironman or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think that's, it's good advice. And it's um, also, I think, under um, underutilised. And I think a lot of patients we hear of do the first year of support and reach out and they've got their dietitian through their clinic or the surgeon who did their um, operation. And it seems that there's an understanding that after 12 months, you've probably nailed it and you don't need that input anymore. Um, but I think that's also when, you know, things start to change like hunger returns and um, anything that's been in a nutritional deficit might start to show up around that time if it's been a, you know, an ongoing thing for a period of time. So mm. I think that understanding 
understanding that the relationship with dietitian is can be a lifelong thing. Um, mm. And I think there's another level of um, patients forget the impacts of the surgery and they forget to tell the people who are helping them as well. So mm. <laughs> it's good to remind your personal trainer or your, um, you know, anyone else you're seeing is with regard to your health, even physiotherapist and that sort of thing. Let them know that you've had this procedure because there's different things that need to be considered from all those different angles that will change the way they deal with you and will mm. also help them to, you know, help you in a more efficient way. Um, I'm just thinking, do you see the pendulum swinging in the opposite direction? Do you see some patients going from sort of a disordered eating background, becoming obese and then actually swinging in the opposite direction after surgery where there's a bit more of an obsessive and kind of need to control either exercise and food? Um, I know we talk about transference of addiction and that sort of thing. Is it something that you see as far as exercise goes and is it something that we should be aware of? I think it happens, no doubt. Um, but I'd have to say, I, I think um, the majority of people who become, who, who start doing, you know, really good large amounts, volumes of exercise, I think are doing so mainly because they've lost their weight. They feel so much healthier and happier and better. They're able to exercise more easily. You know, it doesn't hurt their knees and back and hips anymore. Mm. And they really enjoy it. And they, and they set themselves challenges and they really enjoy those challenges and they continue to exercise in a very healthy manner, albeit doing quite a lot of exercise, which is fantastic. Mm. But you're right, there there is always a smaller percentage of of um, barry athletes who perhaps go direct from their previous perhaps food addiction to a, an exercise addiction, which can become unhealthy, of course, if they're not meeting their basic nutrition requirements. So, you know, you then worry about if their body mass is, you know, down to a, a BMI that's starting to be underweight and starting to be a little dangerous to their bone health or to their menstrual cycle if they're female or whatever, that's... Yes, that's that's when it's perhaps gone too far, and and that can be dangerous, of course. But mm. I think the majority, um, I, I think I see a lot more who are just having a real crack at things, and rather than uh, necessarily obsessions taking them over, which mm. I'm pleased about because you know you'd hate to think that everyone everyone did the full circle. No, that's good to hear, actually, isn't it? And that it's mm. you know stuff. That's interesting when I hear you say that the fact that they're exercising because it feels so good and that they're able to do that. I did a podcast just last week with Ananda Mani, who's a pain specialist. She deals with chronic pain and but kind of talking about patients who've dealt with chronic pain due to either injury that has led them to obesity or obesity that's led them to injury. So once they start to take the weight off and reduce that inflammation, it's like this whole new um life emerges and we were just talking about how you know once you're out of pain and out of that discomfort how you kind of forget that it was ever there and you just keep on going which you can see now why you know people can start to exercise do it gradually do it safely and start to really enjoy that you know ability to move around people talking about having a great time with their kids and starting to play soccer and um, it's real we have in our group a transformation Tuesday and some of the stories are just mind-boggling at what people 
were able to do. When you look at the photos of them, even 12 months ago, and they were just, you know, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even work. And now they're back at work. And it's just, you know, it's really great to see that kind of new lease on life. And you're right, the excitement of what life has to offer once they're sort of feeling more mobile and, um, and healthier overall. I guess it's like, you know, if you've got an iron deficiency and you've felt tired for three years and you correct your iron deficiency and all of a sudden you feel how you're meant to feel, you know, you're yes. feeling normal, like a normal person. And and this is a similar thing, you know, we, we, you know, if you're a normal weight, you perhaps don't understand that, you know, putting on your sneakers and going for a jog or going to the gym can hurt if you're morbidly obese. So yeah, I, th- I think, I think it's just, you know, really motivating when you see people who've lost lots of weight and who just are loving exercising, whatever they're doing, you know, whether it's take up dancing class classes or whatever, you just, they just thoroughly enjoy enjoy it because it doesn't hurt anymore yeah and it's finding what you like isn't it I think there's no script for it it's just working out what you enjoy and trying new things and a lot Mm. of the athletes we're seeing in our group are people who were never interested in riding a bike or getting in a swimming pool and Mm. now that you just can't stop them they're climbing mountains and doing all sorts of things and instagramming it all over the place (laughs) (laughs) fabulous yeah and so what can be the outcome of going too far so looking at you know ranging um, or moderating your behavior behaviors and if you're you know you're keen on doing a marathon or and even an iron man or iron woman um what what are the outcomes for patients if they're a excessively exercising and not meeting their needs what can happen classic burnout just the fatigue and the even injuries you know you think yeah you know if you're not meeting basic protein requirements muscles will will get injured you know it, it will increase the likelihood of soft tissue injuries and those sorts of things um and the fatigue you know you just it becomes a drain it, it, that euphoria and excitement and enjoyment of exercise starts to become chore and a drain because it's really hard to do it again for different reasons you know not hard to do it because your joints are hurting because they're probably not now but hard to do it because you're so fatigued or you're so muscle fatigued or so I think the burnout is the big one. Um, yeah. As far as burnout goes, what um, what do you mean when you say burnout? Is there an adrenal input into that or is it just more that kind of muscular fatigue where there's just the energy production component of things aren't working very well? I think it's more the latter, yes. I think it's just, um, you know, we all can work through certain amounts of pain and discomfort and things like that. But I think if you're doing excessive amounts of exercise and you're not nailing your, your calories and your protein Mm. and your carbs, it just, it'll get you eventually. Um, (laughs) And, you know, it might take longer for some to get to that point, but um, um, and then of course you can get new significant nutritional deficiencies. You know, um, there's no doubt that, um, iron deficiencies increase with excessive amounts of exercise um we, we you know we see other new nutri- we, we had a patient the other day who had a vitamin c deficiency which is unusual, unusual. it's not, unusual but it's not unheard of in our community but it's no. very unusual um and again it was someone doing a lot of exercise who perhaps wasn't eating as well as she could have been yeah um so I think they're the, they're the risks and the risk of underweight. That's a real risk. Um, 
you know, we, we have this healthy BMI sort of range almost for a reason. I mean, I know BMI has its problems, but and we don't always use BMI, you know, for individuals. But when your BMI is 17, um, yeah. that's a problem. Um, you know, you, you will have hormonal problems. You will potentially stop having periods and that affects mm. bone density. So, you know, all these things are really significant things that can go wrong if, if you haven't got what you're putting in your mouth right. Yeah, um, correct. And I think they go, I mean, you do feel tired, but you don't really understand that depth of what's actually going on in the body until there's other symptoms. So you might be feeling tired because you're not meeting your nutritional needs for protein or, you know, carbohydrates and that sort of thing. But that level of fatigue and the ongoing level of it and the depletion that could be, you know, affecting bones or, you know, things that aren't reversible in the, in the longer term. That's um, right. I talk about the female triad in um, athletes where mm. their bone density is at risk and they're, um, reproductive system and that sort of thing so it is definitely something to be aware of definitely mm. um i yeah i've heard of a couple of patients who have thought just i've never been scared of being underweight before <laughs> <laughs> well that's right and and you know it, we don't see it a lot, but we do see it. And mm. um, it's not always due to exercise. You know, some people, unfortunately, their obsessions, you know, can go just they're not eating anymore Correct. and that becomes a problem. But, um, yeah, when it's exercise driven, you, you know, you at least think, well, it's a healthy way that they've got to the point they are, but they need some help to um, enjoy exercise again and have it not affect their, their health. And just on that with iron deficiency, I've read statistics as high as 48% of weight loss surgery patients become iron deficient within about the first 12 months of their surgery is that something that you see uh, is prevailing still as well yeah um i mean gastric bypass is is higher risk than sleeve but we mm. still get sleeve patients become iron deficient luckily you know good multivitamins like bn multivitamins are um have reasonable amounts of iron in them so that protects people to a degree but of course if you're a you know you're a menstruating female and you're losing lots of iron and you're doing lots of exercise well you know, you're almost a sitting duck. Iron deficiency can occur, so um, that needs close monitoring. It really does, and yep. um, and it needs you know additional supplements over and above multis for for those particular people. Yeah, I think it's good to recognise when your daily needs are over and above what yeah. a not exercising or athletic human is um, on top of that with the surgery it can blow your requirements out to being quite high and something to then also get your bloods checked on a regular basis I think that's the key and always looking at your supplementation based on recent blood test results to make sure that you're not sort of slipping in different areas and um, kind and of I think that. having good discussions with your GP too that when iron gets very low you know oral iron supplementation will take a long time yeah. And I think a lot of GPs are reluctant to do iron infusions or send you off for an iron infusion. But quite frankly, you know, if you've got a total iron of six or four or something and your hemoglobin's starting to drop and your ferritin's only 15 or something, to be honest, you pardon my French, pissing into the wind. taking. <laughs> I was going to say pushing something uphill. So yes, we're pretty uh, much on the same page. So that's that's right. I, I think you, you <laughs> need that iron infusion followed by... There. Yeah, then followed by some oral iron just to really, you know, na nail it quickly. Yeah, because I think we underestimate just how that, and you're right, people get used to feeling awful and you don't really understand. I was iron deficient and I just couldn't work it out. I was doing my last year at uni and I was like, something's wrong. I can't hear the lecturers properly. I'm just like here, but I'm not absorbing any of this and I just couldn't put my finger on it as a nutritionist. Can you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> and then suddenly you're like, oh, 
oh, maybe my iron's low. But you just, it's so, it is like that frog in a boiling water. You just mm. don't realise that, that it's just getting notched up slowly, that it just becomes accepted that when you walk upstairs, your legs feel like they're, you know, aching for no mm. real good reason. And it is quite um, insipid. So I think if you have been an obese person who has been feeling amazing, you've got no comparative either. So if you're That's not, right. yeah, I think there's that also the reflection on how good can I feel? A lot of patients I talk to say, yep, I feel fine. And I'm like, I wonder if you've ever felt fine or if mm. you've actually known, you know, what it feels to be healthy and vital that um, even though you feel like you might be fine and healthy, there's there could be so much more there. Um, mm. But it is interesting how we just start to slowly accept that we just feel this way and we just might not go to the gym today because we feel pretty tired or and it just starts to become kind of sneaky and mm. um stopping us doing this yeah i agree mm. and and you're right when you talk about boosting iron i think there's no short-term um supplementation so it takes kind of nine to 12 months a lot of the time with supplements to boost back up your stores again and not only that you have to be so vigilant for such a long time of taking this extra doses mm. of iron that as much as the infusions are held off on i'd I don't know. I just think it gets you there in the first place and then make sure your supplementation is on point so that it's maintained. I think we're slowly convincing our surgeons now when someone's low in iron, like very low in iron, they're now agreeing that, okay, fair enough, let's send them off for an iron infusion. Um, now yeah. that, that takes a while to convince surgeons to do that. But yeah. um, I think once they see just how long people feel tired and fatigued and short of breath for with, when they're iron deficient, waiting for their iron to come up with oral iron is yeah. just not really uh, conducive to healthy living. Exactly. And I think, you know, mm. cognition and memory and all that sort of stuff suffers as well. So it's mm. um it's not awesome. So, no. uh, yeah, <laughs> and it's good to feel awesome. So do bariatric patients need to set lower limits for energy output or exercise or they, can they function just as someone else who's not undergone this type of procedure? Look, I think they probably have to accept that they're not going to potentially be able to consume the calories or the carbs of a, you know, a, an athlete. They should be able to achieve their protein. They certainly can achieve all their vitamins and minerals, but, you know, they're going to be 20 to 30% down potentially on energy and carbs, no matter how good a job they're doing. Yeah. Um, so, but that doesn't mean they can't still successfully do marathons and yeah, do triathlons. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. There's yeah. plenty doing it. So um, it would probably just make it difficult for a bariathlete to become an elite athlete. Right. You know, I, I would think that would be very difficult, but it certainly won't stop them um, achieving the same outcomes of actually finishing such a monumental event, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, it's interesting for us to watch that and to support it in our, you know, education programs and that sort of stuff. I think it's um, it makes it seem less far off in the distance and doable when we can kind of observe other people on the same journey that are you know achieving amazing things it's brilliant mm. Mm. i had one more question for you i'm going to pause i'm trying to think what it was <laughs> i reckon Damn, it was a good I, one too i reckon it um should they oh, oh how often should they have bloods was that it yeah and the other one exercise needs fuel to perform as well as recover because i wanted to cover that i was thinking before when you were talking about not meeting protein and all that sort of stuff how it's injury immune system mm 
general kind of malaise. It's exercise needs fuel to perform as well as recover. What do yes. you recommend they eat before and after exercise? Oh, that's right. And I think yep. that's key because when you look at sports nutrition, they're quite precise about what to eat, you know, 50 grams of protein here and make sure you have 30 grams of protein, 20 grams of protein within 45 minutes. So that might be something good to wrap it up. What was the other question? We've covered a lot in regard to the Barry. I like the term you use to Barry athlete. Um, and I'm just thinking, are there things that patients should be eating before and after exercise? It's more like exercise needs fuel, but also needs to fuel recovery. So looking at different, um, there's certain prescribed amounts of carbs and protein a patient could eat in that sort of lead up to exercise and the post-exercise period for best kind of recovery and I guess um, making sure they're growing and um, feeling fueled up for the next session. Yeah, there are. Um, I think if you're training very early in the morning, like you're just getting up and going to the gym or, or doing your training session at 5.30 or whatever, um, if you've done the right thing the day before and you've you've eaten some carbs and you've eaten some protein and you've hydrated yourself, then, you know, your muscle glycogen stores and liver glycogen stores should be adequate to just wake up in the morning and go to the gym or go to your training session. So I don't think you necessarily have to eat or drink anything prior to a morning session like that um, and often it's uncomfortable you know gastric emptying obviously takes a while so um, but in terms of uh, after training sessions yes priority is carbs as soon as possible to replenish muscle glycogen reserves and protein to enable the muscle tissue to um, repair and recover from the training session and, and grow so you really need a carb protein snack or meal. So, you know, you could achieve that by having some fruit with some high protein yogurt with it and some nuts and seeds on top with a bit of protein powder or something to get your carbs and protein as a meal or a snack. Yeah. Or you could as simply as get a, a protein shake that's got carbs in it. So a lot of protein shakes don't have carbs, but plenty still do. Mm. So, and a ballpark figure is, you know, 20 to 30 grams of protein for a, for a recovery snack and a minimum of 30 grams of carbs. So again, that's not that unachievable yeah. uh, even for, for a bariatric patient. Um, but in terms of a later training session, you know, I think if you're training at five o'clock after work or something like that, without doubt, you, you, you'll need some, some carbs in particular, um, you know, 60 to 90 minutes before that training session. No one likes exercising with food in their stomach. So that's mm. just unpleasant, but, um, you know, I think if it's 60, 90 minutes and you've topped up blood glucose and, and glycogen stores, I think that's a, a good time to fuel up before a, a, a PM uh, training session. Yeah, absolutely. And then would they just go home and have a normal dinner or would it that's need right. to be then, something then significant? Well, it'd be a normal dinner, but it would still need to tick those boxes of, you know, um, 30 grams carbs, 20 to yeah. 30 grams of protein. But yes, you could achieve that in, in a normal meal, even a bariatric meal. I've also read a bit about having just one extra serving of protein just before you go to bed if you've done a lot of exercise. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that could be. There's, there's some, um, some uh, method in that. Um, 
you know, with our liver disease patients, we always recommend they have a, a nighttime snack of, of some protein to help throughout the night when the liver's perhaps not producing as many proteins, but it's still trying to function. So yeah, I think a, a late night snack that does involve protein. And of course, if you're going to be up the next morning training, you might as well throw in um, some carbs with it too. But look, you're going to have to eat six to eight meals a day to if, if you're a serious trainer, um, just yeah. to get just to get volumes of of macros in so i guess that's lunch boxes isn't it it is it's a lot of food (laughs) prep and uh weekends spent yes cooking and freezing things and yeah Yeah. portion controlling things proper planning prevents poor performance they're my five p's (laughs) and i talk about it a lot because it's exactly whether you're an athlete or not i think whether when you're a bariatric patient it's all about that um the weekend is the time that we also talk about you know here's the time to shop properly when you're not hungry um and think about what you're going to have during the week that's going to get you through everything you need to do and you know manage your needs for nutrition and um and carbohydrates and protein and that sort of stuff there's a lot of talk about low carb diets obviously not for athletes but as a bariatric patient who's not you know extremely athletic is there a place for a low carbohydrate diet do you think it's something that patients should subscribe to uh yes absolutely um Mm. we in my clinic we um uh, make sure that our patients are educated on lower carb eating post-surgery not in the early weeks or months post-surgery because you know you're going to lose weight regardless really um but I think patients need to know what is a lower carb diet. There's good evidence now that controlling insulin levels, which lower carb diets will help do, yeah. will help prevent uh, weight regain and prevent um, uh, muscle body fat stores increasing again. Uh, so very much so. And, and so this is where it gets really interesting is, you know, you're telling your bariatric patient who's perhaps not doing much exercise to cut down their carbs, cut down your carbs. <laughs> and then they start doing bucket loads of exercise and it's, you got to eat more carbs you got to eat more carbs so yeah it, it's a uh, it's interesting to carb or not to carb that is that's the question right. yeah is, uh, they're a contentious issue and i think the csiro are doing a lot more about actually recognizing this low carb idea and education around insulin and its response to carbohydrates and grains and that sort of stuff so it's somewhere to look for i think mm-hmm. sound advice that's well backed as well thanks i'm so glad that we had this conversation because we are seeing a growing community of athletes barry athletes athletes in our um everywhere in our socials and um contacting us asking about this kind of advice and it's great for us to also have this as a resource and to share and um, educate our fellow patient and help them along their journey Mm. so thank you for spending time with me nick ray that's okay jackie pleasure i appreciate it and we'll catch you soon thank you thanks Thanks for listening. And just before you go, we would love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating and review. For other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration, come and drop into our Facebook community at BN Bariatric. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we hope you will share on your Facebook or Instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.